Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Welcome to another episode of the One Haas Podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ray Guan and Jarrett Wright of the EWMBA 2022 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Jarrett, why don't you start us off with telling us uh, where you're from and your background? I grew up in the Bay Area. I know a lot of guys are like, oh, yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. You know, I've been here for four years, but my family's actually been here in the Bay Area for about four or five generations. Wow. Um, most of my family's grown up in San Francisco, but my mom moved to Richmond about four or five years before I was born. And so, yeah, I grew up in Richmond, spent the first 15 years of my life there, and you know, went on from there. And what'd you do before, uh, before Haas? Oh, uh, before Haas. Actually, let's take a step back. Sure. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? And uh, what did you study? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually a double bear. I came to Cal in 2016 as a transfer student and graduated in 2018 before I started my program, uh, my MBA program in 2019. So I've got maybe a, a different path than most <laughs> coming to Haas, yeah. How did that, what did you study? At, at, oh, uh, I was a rhetoric major. I was a rhetoric major undergrad. What is a rhetoric major? Yeah, rhetoric is, I mean, at its, at its most base level, it is the art of persuasion. But you want to think of it more so than that. It's like, think of it more like communication in all of its forms. So it's not just us talking to each other. Um, it's, it's gestures, posturing, things you do and don't do, actions taken, actions not taken. While a rhetoric major, we studied the rhetoric of artificial intelligence and you know how trust is built between people and how trust is built between people and machines we studied the, the rhetoric of autobiography where you know we study how people are people see themselves in the world how they trans transcribe that but then how they reflect that to the world and how how can you see what the person is really like through what they say because of course, what they say isn't exactly how they see themselves in real life. It's, I don't know, it was, it was a beautiful major. I, I felt like I walked out of class and I could see the world in matrix code. It was a, it was a really fantastic experience. Huh? Wow, that's that's did, amazing. Yeah. Did that include like kind of the study of the history of communication as well? I mean, uh, yeah. Did they go back like generations or? Oh you know, yeah. You... We we went all the way back. You know, lots of Aristotle and uh, and all that good stuff. We. Because rhetoric started off as an auditory art form, but people began to realize, well, those people who, who speak really well, they tend to be pretty convincing. Right. So mm-hmm. rhetoric became synonymous with persuasion. So there's this persuasive style of speech, but then there's also a persuasive style of text. But then that translates further into the persuasiveness of media and images and advertising and things like that. But then more recently, there's the rhetoric of procedure. So like if you're playing chess, Mm. there's no images or text or voice that's inherently, you know, subscribed to playing chess, but there's no doubt that chess has a certain impact on individuals' minds and, and how they think and how they see the world. And it's a 
persuasive quality that the game of chess and other video games like on PlayStation, Xbox, and mobile have on people. And Amazing. so all of these things we we studied, it's it's not inherently a nefarious thing. Right. Rhetoric is just a tool because normally I'll get either well, what is a rhetoric major, right? Yeah. Or, oh, so you got a degree <laughs> in bullshit, huh? Right. <laughs> so it's like one of the two. But rhetoric comes into play in every aspect of every day. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just me convincing you that my product is better than this one or better than that one. It's me persuading you to be on my team, to join my startup, to, to convince myself to get out of bed. Doctors need to be able to convince them, their their patients that this medication is, is is going to cure them. Right. Rhetoric comes into play everywhere, and it's one of the most important things. Um, not just in business, but in life. Otherwise, when you, when it comes to pitch day, you just walk up there with a spreadsheet and say, yeah. "Here you go." Yeah. So I, I do have to follow up all that with a question of what kind of careers. You go into with a rhetoric major? Excellent question. So, most people that get a rhetoric degree, mm-hmm. they either go into law or into politics. Okay. Me, I'm a business guy. I knew that I wanted an MBA from when I walked on the campus. So, I wanted something to complement an MBA. Right. So that's why I, I particularly chose an MBA. I'm a business guy. And this is good timing because um, we just finished our LeadCon workshops last week. And I know a lot of those guys, um, I don't know if they're rhetoric majors, but you know, they're using a lot of those skills that you just mentioned, right? That you learned in, in, as you know, being a rhetoric major uh, in terms of communication, leadership, you know, coaching, and applying that to the MBA program, which personally, I thought that was a very beneficial course. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is incredibly beneficial, especially at a school where there are lots of engineering major, majors, uh, data analytics guys that that are coming in, into the business world. They have a very particular view. It's not a wrong view. It's that data rules the day, and because my data proves my point. I don't really have to convince anybody of anything. Mm. Just look at my spreadsheet. Can't you see it for yourself? But the reality is that management tends to need a little bit more finessing than a spreadsheet. And that's where, right, like you were saying, those lead comp skills come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's that the, the rhetoric background, storytelling, making sure that your ideas connect and you're not able to just answer flatly with flat bullet points, but illustrate answers instead of simply giving them. Got it. Got it. So can you share with us a little bit about what you did before Haas? Sure. So as you know, I grew up in Richmond, but I grew up in Richmond in the 80s. And I haven't been by recently, but back then, it was an adventure in all the wrong ways right. uh, growing up there. Now, in, in my family, it's common saying you go to school, get a good education, and with your degree, by proxy, you can find your escape by you know this good paying job or that job or whatever, what have you. Mm-hmm. But I took a different route. I, I mean, I I'm not really athletic. I, you know, I can't I can't dribble a ball to save my life. I don't know how to rap. But I found my way out in another way. I started a real estate firm when I was 19. Then, say 30 months is when I made my first million, and I did I did exceptionally well. Ran the company for about a decade and 
trust me, it was awesome. I mean, <laughs> you know, up until it wasn't, the Great Recession took me out. And so there's a, this cascading effect because, you know, I'd gone years, years with the golden touch, you know, I had the Midas touch with everything I did. Right. But when things started to, to turn, it was like everything I touched turned the lead. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I made this one quick decision and everything fell apart. It took me three years to run out of money. Wow. I eventually did. I was losing like, God, a Lamborghini a month. You know, it was just going downhill. And again, going from that Midas touch to year after year, month after month, right, week after week, everything fails. Everything. You know, the more money I lost, the more desperate I got. Was that a driving force for, for school, for more schooling? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I, I, I mean, I have yet to meet anyone that has failed in more of an epic fashion than I have. Because um, as I lost everything, I began to get more desperate. My decisions got worse and worse because, you know, again, I, I come from obscurity, and this is my shot, right? And I'm blowing it, and I, I got to a point to where I was just willing to do anything, anything. Right. Just to hang on. I meant it. And I fast forwarding through some of them, some parts of the story there. I um, I found myself indicted yeah. by the federal government. And I actually got sent away to a, um, a federal prison camp in Oregon. And it was, it was rough. I had lost somewhere in the neighborhood of what, eight figures worth of liquid, all, all my, my, my property, all my toys. Right. And, I have nothing. And just, you know, playing chess with guys while, while I'm in there. Just like, oh, well, making conversations. Like, well, what do you do? Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, I was an accountant. Oh, really? Okay, <sighs> cool. And still making conversation. You do anything interesting? Oh, well, put together the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's like, what? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, right. it was a complete shock. I'm like, uh, okay, so what about you over there? What do you do? Oh, I'm a contractor. Oh, okay, cool. Like a plumber, electrician. No, I build um, thousands of homes in master plan communities. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so I'm realizing that I'm I'm here with international tax accountants and you know really intense lawyers and on and on and on. I'm like surrounded by MBAs, and so now I, you and I, right now we're going over like kind of the the cliff notes of of, of what happened, right? right? But while I'm there, giving them detail explicit detail. Okay. This is exactly what I was trying to do. This is exactly where I went wrong. Right. This is exactly breaking down every little bit. And they're like, oh, Jared, you know, a bunch of my friends do that. You make a bunch of money doing it. All you have to do is this tiny tweak. It would have been perfectly legal. We would have never met. And I'm like, oh my God. I wanted to just scream and celebrate and cry and explode like all at the same time because on the one hand, remember, I, you know, I come from obscurity. Yeah. I come from nowhere, but I, not, I'm not crazy. Right. Like I had an idea that the quote unquote big boys, you know, use in, in the field, but I, I just didn't know. I didn't know. And I mean, believe it or not, of, of all places, that's where I was when I decided to get my MBA because it was there that I realized that I was, I was missing these two things. One, there's this, 
This is the operational know-how that one only derives from higher education. You know, you can only get so far by being a charismatic quick learner. Yeah. And two was the network. My team of trusted advisors at the time, you know, they're my buddies I grew up with in Richmond. Right. You know, and I love my people, but at a certain point, they can only take you so far. Right. And eventually I was released now in the federal government. They don't just open the doors and say, okay, well, there you go. You go to a halfway house. Right. So I spent 18 months in federal prison. And then I spent another 12 months in a halfway house. And while there, I was sharing essentially three bathrooms with like 70 people. Um, and I was no longer with the white collar guys. Right. You know, and it was just as precocious as one might imagine. And I, that's why I went to Laney College. This is in 2014. Mm-hmm. Laney College was walking distance. And again, I had nothing. I had one pair of sweatpants. That's all, <laughs> the only thing I, with a nice, great big hole in the crotch. And that's what I would walk to Laney College with. You know, it's, it's actually funny. I remember the first day that I got there and I was in the Welcome Center trying to sign up for the testing and all that stuff to see where I would place. And they're like, oh, you know, typical questions. What are your educational goals? And I'm like, oh, I'm here for an MBA. And you can see the compassion in their eyes. They're like, oh, oh, so adorable. You poor thing. You know, I don't, that's not what they said, but I yeah, can just, yeah. just looking at them. But, you know, I was determined. And, you know, the, the halfway house, they, they didn't allow you to have computers. Mm-hmm. It was a, a 20 minute walk. They gave you 15. So you're literally running back and forth. And because I hadn't, I couldn't use a computer or be on campus long enough. I was there writing 3,000 word essays on my cell phone, but like on my four-year-old cell phone that I had from, you know, before all of this happened, it was, it was intense, but the, that type of failure, you know, it stays with you for me. I, you know, I don't want to, it's like PTSD, you know, I think about it Mm -hmm. every single day, even now I think about it every single day and it's hard sometimes to recognize you know, your successes after something like that. Cause right. like, oh, Jared, you, your grades are so good. And it's like, dude, I'm supposed to be retired like three years ago, you know? Yeah. But I fought through the dissonance of both the halfway house and my own mind really shouting at myself. And yeah, it took me four semesters to get through, through Laney. My first year there, I finished with a 3.98 GPA. And that re-education of myself has been thematic for me since my, let's call it a downfall, right? right? Because it was that ignorance that took from me, not just my riches or whatever, but my pride, my self-efficacy, the respect of my, my friends and neighbors. It was, it was difficult. Yeah. But I, this theme of, of, of ignorance of, you know, this is, I guess I, I've been working on re-educating myself mm-hmm. ever since then. That's what all of this is about. But not just not only am I extinguishing the ignorance from within myself, I find it to be my duty to help others avoid the pain and loss that it causes. Mm-hmm. While I was at Laney College, I I founded uh, the Emoja Baka community while I was there. The, the what? I'm sorry. What is that? Yeah. It's called Emoja. It's a, a learning community for Black students on campus. Mm-hmm. Where it's uh, they have community space. What's it called? Emoja Ubaka. Um, okay. 
Yeah, it was an APAS tutor there. Um, and I was like, wow, this is APAS is a is an aid for Asian American students on on campus. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, this is this is so amazing. You know, I was an embedded tutor in an English course, and I was like, wow, I really I would love for something like this to be there for us. You right. know, mm-hmm. you know, being a black guy in Oakland. So I went to went to the English department co-chair Jackie Graves. Um, I was like said the exact same thing. I wanted to do something like this. And me not wanting to reinvent the wheel, I did a bunch of research and I found Emoja, which is a they have uh, black learning communities in co- community college campuses all up and down the state of California. So we reached out to them. Turned out they were having a an, their annual conference. You know, a few weeks out. We went and it was a it was really beautiful. It it opened my mind to see what all was possible. Not only was there embedded tutors, but there's a dedicated space. You know, there there's opportunities for dedicated counselors, book loan programs. And this was at Laney College. This is all at Laney College. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all of the above. I want it all. At the time I was co-writing uh, some legislation for for the school by the way of the the student success and support plan and the and the equity plan and we kind of just wrote ourselves into the budget so before i left i saw them funded for uh well over half a million dollars in this is what 2014 15 yeah here we are 2020 and they are still going strong I'm very proud to say wow um, were you were you working this time after you got out of the out of the halfway house yeah so i had no money while I was at the halfway house. And what I noticed was as soon as guys get out of prison and they come to the halfway house, first two things they want, a cell phone and a car. Hmm. So I knew a guy, the knew a guy, the knew a guy at a tow yard. And so I got my student loans from Laney College and I start buying, you know, beat up old cars at the tow yard. And so when guys came in, they're like, okay, hey, I, you know, I need a cell phone, I need a car. It's like, oh, well, hey, I've got one parked right outside. <laughs> you know, here you go. Wow, still um, using that business mindset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have a, a colleague that was, uh, he's like a marketing genius. You know, he has two patents in market search and he knows about my background, different types of ventures that I've led. And he's like, well, hey, you know, you want to you want to join forces and start a marketing company. Well, now I had the money to be able to pitch into something like this. I'm like, sure. You've been trying to get me to do it for a long time, but it was in real estate, it was too busy. So we joined forces. We started a marketing firm, and that put me through the entirety of my undergrad uh, career with with that. So I don't know. I, I guess the the phrase in vogue currently is a serial entrepreneur. I, I guess <laughs> I guess that would be me. Well, first off, thank you so much for sharing that story, Jared. I think it's it's so powerful and it's it's such a story that I think resonates with entrepreneurs, again, even myself, to to hear that that struggle, right? Mm. And at times like I I've even experienced it like with US laws and business laws, you're always skirting on the edge of some kind of legality, sure. right? And the unfortunate thing is that some people can get away with it because they have really good lawyers, mm-hmm. right? And they're able to interpret the law in their favor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just don't. And that's, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's definitely some ignorance even on my own part when I was sure. running my own businesses that I had to, to overcome and learn. But I think your story is really important for the future generation of 
entrepreneurs, I think that will come out of this school. Sure. They're, they can only innovate so far. It can go so far. I, I think that the number one difference between myself, you know, aside for what I did, and those that don't, but you know, more fundamentally between myself and some of my other contemporaries that grew up around the corner from me mm. in Richmond is the support. And that support makes all of the difference. You know, had I known those guys that I met later on, it's like, oh, Jared, all you had to do was this tiny tweak and everything would have been all right. If I had of known to reach for something more, you know, I use this example all the time. If you ask me, well, what's your favorite seasoning? And all I know is salt or pepper. Well, then I'm either going to pick salt or I'm going to pick pepper. Right. But what if I don't even know about sriracha yeah. or curry <laughs> or, I mean, hell, even mayonnaise, yeah. you know? I, just, I don't know to, to pick these things as options. Right. And that's, like I said, that, that's been my campaign all the way through. I mean, while I was here at Cal undergrad, we co-founded a nonprofit organization where we taught entrepreneurship and innovation to kids in the Middle East because it's... It's just about opening doors and not to make them little Jared clones and say, all right, entrepreneurship is the only way to do it. And here we are, Americans coming to save the day. No, just, <laughs> right, just hey, here's some extra tools for you that I think could be helpful. Hmm. And whether or not you want to be an engineer or work in your dad's dentist office or be an entrepreneur or whatever it is, these are incredible tools for you to use in your everyday life. That's amazing. I think that segues into questions I have about your time here at Haas. Sure. You know, with your background and your wealth of experiences, what have you, I guess, how has Haas and an MBA helped you so far? Mm. I I know you've only been here for about what? (laughs) Semester and a half. (laughs) Six months, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. So that's an excellent question. I looked high and low for an MBA program because I was Berkeley undergrad, mm-hmm. I wanted to give myself a little bit more variety. And I didn't initially want to go to Cal, maybe myopically. I was just like, well, I just want a different school. And honestly, for who I am and what I'm doing, there just isn't a better fit. Of course, I looked at all the top schools, Harvard, Wharton, the Wharton Executive Program, uh, Stanford. But the level of maturity that that I find here at, at Berkeley, the empathy, how ingrained the four principles are, and the breadth of experience that that the class that my classmates have right. that I didn't find at in my experiences while visiting these other schools. Right. Anecdotal as as it may be, just who I encountered while I was at these other schools, I felt myself kind of. I don't mean this to be negative, but like kind of waiting to be impressed. Like, mm. you know, I'd go and I'd say, so, you know, what did you do like to get into this school? It's like, oh, well, after undergrad, I got a job as an accountant and a couple years later, I just applied. I'm like, oh, an accountant. Okay. So what'd you do? You help Obama put the economy back together? <laughs> no, I was just at BDO and just had a job. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> what about you? Oh, I was an engineer and... Thought I wanted to be a consultant. Okay. And over and over and over again, it was like some 
iteration of that exact same thing. Right. Here, I've some of my my best friends, you know, I it's a former uh, vice principal, of course, a slew of IT, IT tech, da 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 da, insert techie buzzword, whatever, but our elite military warriors that are here, mm-hmm. I, I gained so much knowledge and perspective from them, those who are in, in bio, in government. And there's a certain quality within the students that I find at Haas that is, is, is bar none. Of course, everybody's smart. Uh, everybody's fairly well accomplished or whatnot. But that, that maturity, the empathy, the compassion that I find here, me and Ray were talking you know, a few days ago, and it's the level of compassion that's here. Everybody that I run into in the evening and weekend program here at UC Berkeley Without exception, you're like, well, what is it that you're working on, and how can I push you forward towards that towards that goal? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's unique to the graduate program or the, to the part time program or to Ha specifically, but that quality has enriched my life. I've been working on um, higher rewards. Is um, my my fintech that I'm working on right now. I've been working on it for two years. And in the past two months at Haas, I've gotten further than I have in the previous two years by myself. And developing something like this with the intended impact, one, I mean, this, this idea was, was born out of Berkeley and, and I think can only thrive in a place like this with, with the, a level of empathy and compassion that matches its business acumen. We'll have to touch upon that. Definitely later on. Sure. Before we end this episode, I think what you had mentioned about uh, the students being at Haas, being very compassionate, I think that was similar to me during my, I guess, uh, time as a prospective student in the sense that I noticed, and also I've heard this comment from other people I was talking with, is students here, when you stop them on campus, you know, they're more than happy to volunteer their time more often than not to answer you know, any questions that you might have or to have a conversation with you and share with you and any other prospective student what the life of a Hasi kind of entails. Um, and I think that's very, that's underrated because, you know, at least in my time visiting other schools as well, you don't find that to be the case at other schools. Yeah, it's really going beyond yourself. <laughs> that's, uh, we, we live and breathe that motto. Right, yeah. So Jared, you know, you've gone through this roller coaster of an entrepreneurial life. What skill sets or very specific skills were you looking to gain through the MBA? Mm-hmm. For example, finance, accounting, mm-hmm. legal, whatever it is. I'm really curious what, because uh, from myself, I, I found a shortcoming in finance. So I actually came to the MBA as an entrepreneur to get more finance experience. I know a lot of listeners and a lot of people typically question why the hell are us entrepreneurs going mm. to business school, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but what they fail to realize is one of our, our Haas models, which is student always. Mm-hmm. I think a true entrepreneur is always curious, is mm-hmm. always willing to learn something new. What are you here to learn? I'm very curious. You know, it's interesting. I do get that a lot. Why are you here? You've started so many businesses. You were successful in the past. You can do it again. But I find that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. And walking into an MBA, there wasn't a specific skill 
I'm going to get get my MBA because I want to learn this one thing. I just knew instinctually, whatever, what have you. I knew that there were gaping holes in my skill set overall. I wasn't 100% sure where they were, mm. but I knew that they existed. And I wanted to get an MBA to patch those holes that I found within myself. And I must say that I have been thoroughly fulfilled. I think that there's stuff that I'm good at, but prior to coming to Haas, as successful on paper that I have been thus far, I couldn't really enumerate those skills. Jared, what are you good at? I don't know. Yeah. I had no idea, but... You've worn so many hats. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I was like, i good at stuff, I guess. It's got to be something. I I know that feeling, being being a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. You know, and so I get self-conscious when I'm around people who have like a mastery in this thing. Counting. Yeah. yeah, I'm (laughs) the best accountant ever. And I'm like... I'm the best deal maker ever. Is that a thing? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's three chords here at Haas for me. There's what we learn in the classrooms. Invaluable. Completely invaluable. There are concepts that would have saved me time and time again. And since I have so much experience over 10 years, you know, running this thing by myself, I'm like, oh man, I would have saved money at one deal. Oh my goodness. Little things. Right. Decision tree. You know, (laughs) then it's important because I can use these things in real time too. Obviously the network, right? It's what we're here to do. And connecting with people on such a personal level with such a variety of experiences, I learn from everyone. Hmm. Everyone has something interesting to say. Everyone has a, a valuable perspective because it's not my own. Right. But then three, and I have a sneaky suspicion that this may be an underrated resource at Cal, but I'm here to leverage the infrastructure. So three would be the CMG department. Hmm. I meet regularly with four people on, on the CMG team. One person is helping me craft my story. Mm-hmm. One person is helping me with tools to identify what it is that I'm good at, right. identify those things. One person is helping me craft language around, okay, well, now that I know what, what, I'm, what am I good at, how do I craft language around talking about myself mm. confidently? but without attitude. Right. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. Um, they are helping me with my startup and making it into a fully fledged thing as opposed to an idea on a whiteboard with right. a fancy deck somewhere. Those are things that have completely enriched my life. To answer your question you know, directly, what is it that I came to house for? I was already working on higher rewards and... Primarily, I am here to recruit my classmates and leverage the infrastructure of Haas to carve out a space for myself within the industry. And on all of these fronts, Haas has delivered time and time and time again. Well, you have to tell us about higher rewards now. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. said higher rewards, right? Yes, higher rewards. In our research, we've been finding that Donations have been in decline when it comes to nonprofits and religions alike. And you know, regardless of your own spirituality, there, there's no there's no question about how much 
organizations like this impact their local communities. All of us know people or are that person or is that person where it's like, well, my life was on this one trajectory. Mm. But because of this after-school program, because of this mentor, because of whatever nexus that intersected my path, there's this inflection point that's exponential and sends you on a completely different pathway. And so what we're looking to do is offer these organizations the ability to provide their members with a self-branded credit card. If I'm the First Baptist Church of Berkeley, let's say, right? Be able to offer my members a First Baptist Church of Berkeley credit card. This would be a rewards card like most others. But instead of users getting 2% cash back for themselves, that reverts to the organization. Mm-hmm. Hence the name Higher Rewards. So this card will have a more tangible impact. It's more real to the in card user. You know, when you give your money to the Red Cross, right? Where does it go? You know, I'm sure it goes somewhere into the ether and eventually lands on a good cause. But with something like this, it's esoteric to the user. They can say, you know, the the after school program that my child goes to was paid for with this card. Mm. The men's group that my brother attends was paid for with this card. You know, so it's more visceral to to the individual user. It's something that they, they can see and with this, you know, we've run the numbers like any good MBA st- student should, and we're able to pour millions of dollars into communities that truly need it all over the world and all th- with, a, with a passive income. You right. know? How, how many people are sitting in the pews would love to be able to donate to the church, but can't because, you know, life is expensive. Life is expensive, especially here in the Bay Area. Right. Mm-hmm. But... We're not saying go out and buy big screen TVs or anything like that, but you know, your cell phone bill, yeah, groceries, gas, things that you're going to spend money on anyway. And now you're able to transform those who literally can't ever give to the church to those that do regularly. Right. So you mentioned a little bit about transparency. Yes. How do you guys plan to solve that? Excellent question. Excellent question. You know, I, for myself, I'm a member of a church and my church gives me a credit card and all of a sudden the pastor shows up in a Rolls Royce, you know, right. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have a problem, <laughs> right? So we have a built-in accountability system where the church is responsible for um, showing where the money is going. So w- within the app, I know, you know, this is a podcast, so I can't show you, but within the app, you can see, okay, well, $40,000 went to the after-school program. You know, $70,000 went to the women's group. So one, that's how you communicate to the users. Like these are our gifts in action. Mm -hmm. This is the impact that we're having in our community. Mm -hmm. So they see it, it's tangible, makes them want to be, want to give more. But then there's also an accountability piece that's also built in. It's amazing. What are some of the challenges that you're coming up against in, in launching this product? Sure. Interestingly enough, it's been exceptionally difficult to find this what we've been referring to as just the guy, someone within the banking realm, specifically within credit cards that can green light a program like this. Mm. Here we are at Haas. 
I am drowning in bankers, of course, <laughs> but they're in private equity. They're in loans. Right. They're in retail. They're in everything else, but exactly where I need them to be. Mm-hmm. We recently, we recently got in contact with Marketa. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a financial firm based out of Oakland. Fantastic company. Working together for about three weeks, and you know they essentially offered us a deal within those three weeks. But just the we weren't able to best serve our customers with their product as is. I think that we just. The fit that we had was the, the gears were just grinding, so mm-hmm. you know I had to had to walk. But finding someone in that space has been incredibly difficult. Now, of course, I've got my feelers out, and I've been working through the network of my classmates, and I actually have some upcoming meetings over the the coming days with some promising individuals that I think may be able to to, to push us through. But again. I don't want to keep hitting the house button, but <laughs> no, <laughs> you should through, through my classmates. You know, <laughs> I've been looking for this person for literally years, could not get any traction, mm-hmm. and my classmate, who again is not in credit cards, but is senior vice president in retail or you know whatever, what have you. It's like okay, well, I know somebody that may get you a step closer. Mm-hmm. That person gets me a step closer, and then sooner or later, we six degrees of separation our way into a set of meetings. Right. That kind of thing. It just wasn't possible before this. Amazing. For any prospective students, do you have any anything that you want to share? I know you've only been here for six months. I think, Jarrett, for we've known each other a little bit now, sure. um, being both in the 2022 class. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'd like for you to highlight on it actually is um, your involvement outside of class. I feel like I've seen you at every single happy hour. <laughs> so... Yeah. You know, definitely when I think of people who are making the most out of the evening weekend NBA or just, you know, the Hossimbley in general, mm-hmm. you definitely come to mind. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting uh, reaching back to a question that, you know, was, was earlier. It's like, you know, what are you here for? And people look at me and they're like, no, there's a guy that knows exactly what he wants and exactly what he's after. But I have a vague idea. I know I want to be a better version of Jared. I know I want to learn. I know I want a, a rich experience. And so that's what I'm going after. But I mean, listen to what I said. You know, it's, it's fairly vague. So I'm not 100% sure what it is I'm looking to gain, but I am gaining a lot. Right? I, feel like it's, sure. I mean, yeah, I feel like that's kind of just the theme of our conversation today. It's, um, you know, kind of like what you had mentioned earlier, even um, you know, through the ups and downs of your earlier career. It's just, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And so, and the only way we kind of um, start solving that is by identifying our blind spots or strengths. Mm -hmm. And that kind of mirrors the point that you just made there. Surrounding ourselves with the right, with the right people that's going to push us. Exactly. And I I think I don't want to diminish, you know, anything that you said, but I feel like it's an important message for prospective students to hear that although. I remember when I was talking to, to you know current students right before I came. You feel like everybody has their shit together, and even once you get here, it's like, man, I think everybody has their shit together except for me. And you start talking to everybody. <laughs> it's like imposter syndrome. Yeah. Nobody has their shit together, <laughs> and even if they knew why they were coming here, right? They come here to to get a rude awakening to realize, holy crap, that's actually not what I want to do because I just found this other thing that mm-hmm. is really what's you know, driving my motivations and my passion. 
And that's the beauty of the MBA. And I think that's even more so the beauty of the, of the evening and weekend program is that you have an additional year. You have three years to really fully explore, network, and develop yourself. Right. Sean, that's such an important point. When I was initially looking at Haas, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now, am I going to go the executive way route? The executive MBA, the MBA program is right. 19 months versus the part-time program route. Now, again, you know, people look at me and they're like, that's a guy who's got his shit together, but it's the furthest thing from the truth. <laughs> I have no idea like what I'm here to get, but I knew that there was a lot that I wanted to do. And because there was so much that I wanted to do and it wasn't like, okay, well, this is a box that I need to check in order to get to the CFO position or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. If that was the case, then the executive MBA would be a great route for me. But because I wanted that richness of experience, I chose the part-time program and I am so happy that I chose the part-time program because... No one is competing with each other here because it's a part-time program and everybody has their own jobs already. Right. They're not competing for the same internships. Right. In fact, our Slack channel, at least three or four times a week, <laughs> hey, we've, you know, we're hiring for a product manager jobs, paying 180 a year, anybody want to jump on? Or, you know, oh, <laughs> hey, we've got, you know, directive marketing opening up. Let me know. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll slide you in. I've seen so much cross-pollination right. with our students and where it is that they work. So yeah, I would, I'm glad that I didn't shy away from the part-time program because I know that the extra year can seem like a lot. I know because it seemed, seemed like it to me. I'm like, oh my God, you know, three years. And, uh, uh, uh. But that three years is going to come and go regardless of anything else. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> I, only have, yeah. I only have four months left. <laughs> <laughs> and I, as much as I wanted to do, I, I, it gives me the time to give me a much better, a much more well-rounded, much more involved experience with the MBA. And so I'm really happy with, with my decision. So Jared, I want to thank you again today for being so open and honest. I think it's so important that we had this conversation, that we first we got to meet. And uh, thank you for reaching out to me. Of course. And, and two, that you know, we're able to hear your story and, and really have this open dialogue about the idea. And, and I just touched upon this just now, was that I think it's important that we break this image that MBAs come to get an MBA because they know what they want. It's... It, MBAs are coming to get MBAs because they don't know what they want and they're trying to figure it out, right? Exactly. And that message, I think, should really encourage students who are trying to figure out what, how to take the next step in their careers to, to encourage them to come to the MBA versus shying away from it versus waiting until you, you think you have a better answer, you have a better idea of why you need to get an MBA. I think if you're... I mean, that personally... I've never shared this with anyone because nobody ever asked. Mm-hmm. But because you shared your story, I mean, that's, I felt the same way. I was like, I've already done all this stuff, but I, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do next. Exactly. And, you know, just having had the, the past two and a half years to really explore and figure things out has been such a blessing and such a, um, a privilege. Yeah. To be surrounded right. by such amazing people. 
Yeah, there are. I remember when I was returning from my uh, <laughs> vacation. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew for sure two things. One, it wouldn't be in finance. And one, and two, it wouldn't be in real estate. I was just kind of burnt out on it. <laughs> Currently CEO of a fintech company. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and my classmates, knowing my background, they're like, hey, you know, a bunch of us were thinking about banding together to buy a 20-unit apartment complex. Would you mind leading the project? It's like, well, I mean, it falls in your lap, but it's... Let's be honest, Jerry, you're, you're just waiting for the downturn <laughs> before you invest. I, I, right. I know what you're thinking. It's, it's, yeah. The market's too hot right now. We're, gonna, we're not going to buy at the peak of the market. <laughs> oh, man. There's a, uh, it's an offline conversation. There's, there's a lot there. But yeah, prospective students, I'd say come, come and experience us, not just in the classroom, but, but talk to the students. Find us at happy hour. Right? Like you were saying, you know, they're, we're, we're very open and, and welcoming yeah. to, to, to people coming to see us. Yeah, and I think we've, you know, our cohort and probably yours as well has, have invited prospective students after classes to come out to happy hours with us and they've come out and had a great time. Um, yeah. And just to put some numbers around your, basically, you know, what we talked about in terms of people not knowing what they want to do. I mean, I think when our incoming class, right, I was mm-hmm. attending one of the webinars I think you know they split people who are incoming into uh, I think four categories like explorers, pivoters, entrepreneurs, and advancers, right? right. And I want to say when we did like an informal poll, over forty percent of our incoming class said that they were exploring. Wow! So yeah. uh, it's not you know I mean I think gone are the days where people or a hundred percent of the people come in to get this MBA designation and then just advance onwards in their careers. <laughs> I mean, when I think about it, though, I think the application process does cause some confusion, right? The application, some t- some of the school's applications, mm-hmm. MBA, make you feel like you you need to know what you want to do mm-hmm. and why you're coming here. Mm-hmm. And then you get in, you're just like, nope, I just want to explore. <laughs> yeah, and and it's totally acceptable. Yeah, and that's something that I think maybe I had the wrong idea coming in myself and had to learn that. But I'm just so glad that. That is the case, and and I hope other people can see that as well. Yeah, you're right, Sean. I mean, I walked in not even knowing what I was good at, right? Let alone you know exactly what it was that I was going to take from the program. There was one other thing that I wanted to touch on during the orientation that we all have. So mm-hmm. We launch. It was interesting. We uh, there's this big hoorah. I don't want to give away too much, but let's <laughs> say there was there were some skits that happened in the previous year. Um, the 2021s put on a skit that was just trying to illustrate that, you know, now that you're here, don't forsake, you know, your other bears and the other cohorts. Because in the EW program, you can get locked into your cohort and not go out and venture out. Mm-hmm. And Ray, you're saying you see me at all these different things. And that was the moment when I was like, you know, I want to make sure that I don't lose contact with everybody else and yeah. the other cohorts. Yep. And I've received a tremendous amount of value. I guess it's concomitant that 75% of the value that I've gotten from my classmates have come from the other three cohorts that I mingle with. And that type of value, had I not crossed over and went to Oski's and Axis and Blues, mm-hmm. Happy Hours, and to their parties and to birthday parties for their for the significant others, had I not did, did any of that, 
my experience would not have been what it is. In fact, the the meetings that I have up and coming that's advancing my my company forward would not have happened because those happened outside of my cohort. And of course, those within my cohort have been incredibly supportive. By blocking out the other three cohorts, you're blocking out 75% of the network that you're supposed to be here to get. Right, yeah. And by process of elimination, I've deduced that you're in the gold cohort because that was the only one you didn't <laughs> yeah. Very good. That's, that's yeah. the MBA working right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much today for being on the podcast, Jared. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 